identity politics, don't ask, don't tell, and societal moral outrage. America's favorite black gay Republican veteran joins me to discuss. Hey, welcome back to Liberty and Cocktails. I'm literally joined by a unicorn today, so this is going to be a great conversation. Rob Smith. How are you, Rob? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. So I, I, you know, I reached out to you on Twitter, and we don't know each other. This is literally the first time we've ever talked. And I saw your profile, and it, you know, your point of view caught my eye. You're a veteran, so we share that. But you're also gay and African American or black, whichever one you prefer. Yep. So black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. I usually ask people. Actually, I said, "Oh, oh, really? Uh, what?" country in africa are you a citizenship of or do you have citizenship of? and they're like well i've never been to africa i'm like oh okay cool um <laughs> but no so i i you know this is a, this is a conversation i wanted to have i wanted to reach out and talk to you about some of the things because look we both served uh we both had each other's back whether we know each other or not but then there's a lot of things that you know you and i may disagree on so why don't you tell everybody Absolutely. a little a little bit about yourself yeah, my name is Rob Smith. Uh, as I say on my Twitter handle, I'm a, America's favorite black gay Republican. But, you know, I'm uh, a guy that served in the Army for five years. I got two Middle East tours under my belt, one in Kuwait, one in Iraq. And earlier this summer, I came out as a conservative, uh, first via a piece in the Daily Mail, and uh, most recently on Fox News with uh, Jesse Waters on Waters World. Huh. And so uh, when did you join the military? I joined the military right out of high school, so this is uh, early 2000, so okay. that's when I, I served, so from around 2000 to 2005. Okay, cool. And you were, uh, where in Iraq were you? I was in Kirkuk, Iraq, um, so it was about, actually I was in Al Riyadh, which okay. was about 45 minutes south of Kirkuk. Right. Um, yeah, because I was in Baghdad in 07 and Fallujah in 09. Um but you know, I don't think we uh, we cross paths, so um, it's always no, interesting. I, don't think so. I was definitely northern Iraq. Yeah, no, I've actually, you know, it's funny. I've been in the green room at Fox sometimes, and there'll be other veterans there, and they'll be like, "Yeah, I was in Ramadi in '09." I was like, "Dude, I was in Fallujah." You know, and we end up get talking. We were at one point or another stationed on the same fob, and you know, here we are meeting in the green room. So you never know. Yeah, you don't. Um, yeah. So anyway, you you recently. So you've been. How long have you known you've been gay? Oh, I, I've known that I was gay probably since I was a teenager. So that is that that is not a recent development. Oh, but you recently just became public about it. Uh, not recently became public about being gay. I've been openly gay for a, a very long time now. Uh, in fact, you know, I uh, did a little protesting and activist work around ending the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, which was about um, gay, lesbian, bisexual soldiers not being able to serve openly in the military. Okay. So that was when I became, I was I was out in, in my own life, but that was around the first time that I became very kind of publicly uh, well-known as a gay man, yeah. Okay, so you were not, you, you, like, don't ask, don't tell wasn't, you know, didn't appease, you, know, you were not a gay, you are not for that, you thought it would, needed to be abolished right away. Well, the thing about Don't Ask, Don't Tell was this. Everybody uh, assumed that Don't Ask, Don't Tell was like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, we're just not going to bother people and they can be gay or they can do whatever. And it's just as long as they're not open about it or flaunting it or whatever. The thing about Don't Ask, Don't Tell is that it, there were these witch hunts 
that people would be involved in to try to kind of drum out, you know, gay soldiers, mm-hmm. um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender soldiers. And also, when these people were discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell just for their sexual orientation, they're also given a dishonorable discharge because of that, or a general. Really? And you and I both know, yeah, yeah. And and that, that was, you know, a, one of the big elements of the activism. And you and I both know that... Um, the difference between an honorable discharge and a dishonorable general discharge is is huge in terms of might the well be healthcare benefits yeah. you get. You well, might as well be a felon. Yeah. You know, in terms of the benefits you get in terms of going to college, uh, all of that stuff. So I thought that was fundamentally unfair and discriminatory. Well, so like I didn't, you know, I actually didn't know that, you know, you could get, I thought you just, you know, separated with an honorable discharge. I did not know that that was the case. Um, but you know, it, it, I mean, I'm sure you you Googled me in my past. I've made some you know anti-gay comments. Um, you know, some of I've actually this is an issue that I've actually morphed on quite a bit. I used to be you know I was I was a victim of sexual assault when I was 11 years old, uh, and in my 11 year old mind and and foreon, I rationalized that as um, is you know this is the the gay culture, which it's not. Uh, but you know, right. go, going through the military, I was. You know, I was kind of. I mean, look, I was a seal. I was in a community where it was very tight knit, and you know, at the time, I I got out in 2012. So, don't ask, don't tell ended after I got out. Um, yeah. So I was very like I was very anti-gay in the military, very anti-gay in my personal life too. Um, you know, I had a de- recently a decent uh, a, a good friend who came out, and that's that kind of changed my whole thought process. That kind of opened my mind up to the whole thing. But while I was in. You know, I was anti, um, obviously fairly anti-gay, but also like I didn't want to repeal the "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" because I felt that it would added an additional variable to combat troops that didn't need to be there. What do you think? What's your take on that? The uh, the additional variable to con to combat troops in what way? So you know, I always I always tell everybody the military is not a social experiment, and like here's the thing too is if if I was you know president of the United States tomorrow. I would not reinstitute "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" because I think that again adds a variable of instability of change that doesn't need to be sought after on the battlefield. You know what I mean? Right. Well, so so here's my thoughts on that. Right. Mm-hmm. I when I was advocating for "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" repeal, and this is the argument that I always made. I think that when soldiers are allowed to be who they are mm-hmm. and allowed to be open and honest about that with the people that they're serving with, to the left and to the right, it makes them stronger soldiers, and it makes the unit stronger. One of my biggest uh, regrets, one of my biggest disappointments about my military service is that I was not able to be open and honest around a a great deal of the soldiers that I served with, and while we were close, and they give me support to this day, and and the Don't Ask and Tell activism, and now coming out as a conservative, I felt like I could have been an even strong soldier an even stronger soldier and we could have been even closer and more tight knit had I been able to just be openly gay and say, Hey, this is what it is, whatever. See, I never looked at it from that side. Um, what I I thought, you know, like what, what my worry was is that people were going to be like, Oh, that guy, you know, and it was going to, it was going to draw a divide, but you think it would have brought people closer together. I think so too. Uh, because honestly, look, we're not going to pretend that, you know, when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, that homophobia just automatically ended in the military. Mm-hmm. But when you oh, still are there. telling me right now, yeah, it's still there. But when you're telling me right now that, you know, your worldview changed when you had a friend come out to you, 
this when you when you are exposed to people it changes you and it changes your outlook on the world and there are so many openly gay soldiers right now that are just changing you know hearts and minds just by being who they are and it's so funny because i'm i'm on instagram as well and there are just so many accounts of just these gay soldiers just like out there living their best lives and still being good soldiers and to me, that is amazing. And, and mm-hmm. that is what I wanted for the next generation, because I probably could have stayed in for 15, 20 years, et cetera, had that burden maybe not been on my back. Right. So, I mean, but do you don't think that it created like any instability, like amongst you, like if you, let's say you had come out in the military, do you think there, there's a possibility that would have, that in any aspect would have pulled your unit apart? No, not 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 at all. Because actually, I came out to my best friend when I was in the military, and I was actually uh, discovered to be gay by some other soldiers in the unit who kind of kept the secret. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And there was no instability. There was no. It just wasn't a big deal. And I think the way they saw it was, why would I wreck this man's livelihood? You know, why right, would right. I would I end this for him just because he's gay? Yeah, well, that's fair. So, what was what was your MOS? Uh, Eleven Bravo. I was infantry. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so, I mean that is a tight knit yeah. group. Um, yeah, we very very tight knit. Very male. <laughs> very yeah. lots of testosterone. Very male. Very tight knit. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, so here here's the other thing that goes hand in hand with this, and I've been I've been very vocal on this. And like, look, here's the thing: it's like, don't ask, don't tell is repealed. I don't think they should ever, under any circumstances, put it back in because I think it would just. Uh, you know, just like repealing it, I thought I thought the the added variable would, you know, create a dynamic that is just not good for killing bad guys in the war effort, uh, which is ultimately what the military is there for. But transgenders in the military, this is something that, I, like personally, I believe that transgenderism is like is some sort of mental disturbance where people are like, you know, I I don't want to be what I am, and I believe that that's something that's dangerous to add battlefield stress to somebody who already has gender dysmorphia i guess they call it what do you think okay so here's what i think um <clears throat> number one the, the the transgender issue is so complicated yeah and when i was you know doing my donuts until activism my, my lgbtq activism I, I learned a lot about transgender people about uh gender dysmorphia gender identity just like all of this other stuff and and this is what i believe fundamentally i do believe that transgender soldiers should be given the opportunity to serve. I do, because this is what I feel. I feel like if you have an all-volunteer military, and you have a military that depends on a volunteer force, why would you stop anybody in the population who wants to serve from serving? So that's the, the, the first aspect of it. I think that when you go a little bit deeper into it, we have to figure out a lot of, a lot of different things about how the service is going to look. Um, how is it going to look for people who um, are transgender who want to come in the military, but, but have not, you know, started medication yet. How is it going to look for people who are already serving, who are on different types of medication? Like there's a lot of things going on there and, you know, the Pentagon and, and everybody else, they were in the process of, of, of figuring all of that out. And I think that it is a conversation. And I think that it's something that, that really does truly need to be figured out. But I, I do believe in the ability of, of transgender soldiers to serve. I, I always have. And that is one thing 
um, as I've transitioned into a conservative, as I've embraced conservative ideals, Mm -hmm. that is the one thing that I remain steadfast on. Because to me, um, it's about principles. Uh And when I was advocating and protesting against Don't Ask, Don't Tell, when I protested at the White House against Don't Ask, Don't Tell, there were lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender soldiers by my side. Now, do I think that transgender people may have um, may need uh, access to more mental health care? Um, absolutely, because to tell you the truth, people who are LGBT identified, period, we have more issues with mental health than the majority of the population for a lot of different reasons, and I include myself in that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so we, there are things in the military that are there for people to, to get the mental health care that they need, all right? Whether it's PTSD, whether it's the stress that comes from being an LGBTQ person, or if it's the stress and sort of gender identity issues that come with being um, somebody that is transgender. But I believe, and I think that you are well aware, that there are um, plenty of jobs out there that anybody can do that don't necessarily have to deal with being on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. You can be an attorney in the military. You can be a dot. You can be so many different things. And I just, for me, I I fundamentally think that open service by transgender people is the right thing to do. And that is me speaking as a veteran in my own experience. Yeah. I mean, and and this is the thing, and this is why I I love talking to other veterans because like we strongly you know, disagree on this topic, but yet we can agree to disagree, which is is rare among the the, the talking heads in the media that we see today. I mean, people will bite bite each other's heads off, and, and I'm sure someone somewhere is going to take a piece of this this show and be you know morally outraged by it. But don't do you do you see foresee any type of like you know deflation of unit cohesion because of a like i can like the gay thing look, the republican party as a whole i believe has got has landed on the wrong side of homosexuality they're just like you just need to let it go the republican party lost this social war and you know what to be honest like it really doesn't matter like you want to go do whatever you want right. to go do fine um who you know at who who cares and actually economically it's proven to have gay marriage be allowed because economically it's better there's higher income in, in those households than there is in single gay households. So, you know, that said, the Republican Party does need to get off the high horse about that. You know, you know, and I'm a I'm pretty far right. So um, the issue is I see transgenderism as like I see it as a mental disorder um, where somebody views themselves as something they're not. You're born with two chromo- you know, XY or XX chromosomes. There's no. You know, like I can't identify with a billionaire and have a billion dollars in my bank account. Why should I identify as a female and be a female? You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. So I, I have, I, I, I think it, it adds a variable that is just not, you know, not good for the military. Don't ask, don't tell. Repeal away. Keep it the way it is. You know that thing. But I think the transgender for me is something that I just, I'll never agree with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's something, and it's something we will have to agree to disagree, but. What I find so interesting about having conversations with conservatives is that you can have conversations with conservatives and there's no shouting people down. There's no highly, there's no highly charged emotions. Like, you know, you should think this or you should not think that this is, this is what I think. And that's what you think. And I I, I think that sometimes when we get in the conversation about the transgender community in general, um, in particular with transgender people in the military, you're dealing with a very, 
very small portion, almost minuscule portion of the community in general. Mm-hmm. And the, the portion of that community that even wants or has the de- desire to serve is even tinier. So you're, you're still talking about a, a very small portion of the community. But yeah. based on you know, what I know as a veteran, based on the, the stories that I've heard, from some transgender soldiers. As a matter of fact, I moderated a panel last fall with um, two trans soldiers. Uh, one, Layla Ireland, and I believe Travis Ireland. Now, Layla is um, is a transgender woman, and Travis is a transgender man. And they're they're a couple. They they're in this documentary together. It was fascinating. And I moderated the panel, and I talked to them, and I talked to a lot of different transgender soldiers you know, over the country. And this is kind of where I've come to this. And I know that there's an administration right now that is that is hostile to that idea. And for me, as somebody that is a black gay veteran and also a mm-hmm. conservative Republican, I would like to be somebody that can perhaps bridge the gap between those two communities who don't seem to really want to talk to each other all that much yeah i'm happy look i'm happy to debate it talk about it all day long and that's the thing you know and that's the you know the point of this show liberty and cocktails is that we can exercise those liberties civilly enough to have cocktails afterwards and that's what is so important is us being able to have this conversation and like i consider you a brother because we serve together maybe not personally together but you're a veteran and that that to me is the most important thing you can forget republican you can forget gay you can forget any of that stuff and we can have this civil conversation right now and that's long forgotten amongst the majority of society and you get this shouting down um yeah it, it, it's it's terrible um and you're not going to solve anything so there's the second someone says something that anybody on the left disagrees with there's this moral outrage where you know you have to like we saw with Whoopi Goldberg and Janine Pirro on the view where Whoopi asked Janine Pirro a question she started to respond Whoopi didn't like the first three words of the sentence and shouted her down and cut to commercial how are you going to solve anything yeah you can't you can't and and the the issue is i mean I, look i do have friends that are much more liberal than I am. Mm-hmm. And the difference between them and the people that have decided to not be friends with me since I've come out as conservative is that I can sit down and we can have civil conversations about these issues and, and still over a margarita, you know, and know that <laughs> we can have fundamental differences when it comes to politics, but we can still be friends because humanity is deeper than politics. And I think that that is what we forget sometimes. Yeah. I just want to go and on the record that... Nothing has ever good from come from me having a margarita ever. Oh right, okay. Well, <laughs> it is. It's always to, been I a disaster. With that, because I love my margaritas. <laughs> I have, it's always been a disaster when I have a margarita. Uh, sorry, oh, you were in the middle of saying something. We'll finish up your sentence. No, it's just I, I think that that is where we differ right now from liberals. I think that uh, liberals they're really into these purity tests. And if you do not pass their purity test, then you are a bigot and you're racist and you're homophobic and you're transphobic and you're all of these different uh, words that they use to shut down conversation. But I think conversation is important and I think ideas are important. And I think that conversation and ideas are, are what is going to bring us back together as a country. Yeah, no, I I completely agree, and I I like how you talked about that, um, you know that 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 sort of morality that the left claims to have this this moral test, 
And one of the things that I've seen is, you know, left and right, actually, more so on the left, but, you know, you're racist, you're a homophobe, you're a bigot, you're this, you're that, you're everything. And, you know, you're a sexist or whatever if you're a conservative. And I'm sure you've probably been called every name under the sun for being a oh, Republican. Yeah, you should see my mentions. You should see my mentions there. I mean, I get called, you know, that I get called an Uncle Tom, I get called a coon, I get called a house inward. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. And this is what comes. And, and I, you know, it, it rolls off my back. I, I knew that there was going to be some blowback for being open and honest about my beliefs and who I am, and that's fine. Yeah. And it, it doesn't uh, deeply affect me all that much, but I tweet some of this out sometimes because sometimes people don't realize the, the response that is out there. Right. And I think sometimes people think that, that you're just making this up and, oh, people on the left aren't like that. And, you know, oh, that's just people on the right. right. And it's like, no, it, it, it happens. Yeah. Well, I found that, uh, you know, it's funny. I found when all that stuff came out about me on CNN, some of it I said, some of it was way out of context. Um, but, it, you know, the the crazy thing was it wasn't it was white liberals who were pissed off. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the, that's the funny because thing. Because they have to because they have to they have to take on um, the mantle of being morally outraged for those poor, poor, oppressed minorities who can't think or speak for themselves. Right. Exactly. Which is why they hate black conservatives so much. Yeah, um, because you succeed. So this moral outrage comes out. And I'm, what I'm waiting for above anything else is when the liberal left is going to have the same moral outrage over rap music. I don't know what kind of music you listen to, but I don't listen to a lot of rap. And I find, like, I have heard some of these songs, and some of their lyrics is, like, way more offensive than anything I've heard anywhere else. You know? I mean, you know, I I think that for me, with the whole rap conversation, for me... I just don't, I never wanted to use my mantle as somebody who's a prominent black conservative to like come for the culture, to come for rap music or anything like that. Like that's, to me, it's just, if you want to, if you want to be a black conservative and you want to be one of those people that says, oh, well then they shouldn't say the N word and they should do this and they shouldn't do that. I'm just like, I don't come for the culture. They can do whatever they want to do. That's fine. What I will say and where we can be halfway on this is that. I think that what young black kids don't realize, especially young black kids that that Mm -hmm. don't come from money or don't come from a wealthy background or whatever. First of all, number one, the primary consumer of this rap music is is young white kids. All right. First of all, uh, that's number one. Number two, these are generally young white kids from means that can consume this stuff. And, and put it on and take it off. And, and when I say put it on and take it off is they can go to a Jay-Z concert, they can screw their face, they can chop it up, they can do whatever they want to mm. and walk into a job as a stockbroker, you know, on Monday morning. Right, right, right. You know, it, it, when you're, you're a black kid and you're coming up, you, you don't have, you know, the opportunity to put this on and take this off in a way that the primary consumers do. Yeah. So I would tell them to really think about some of these messages and it's cool because it's fun and we all like Cardi B and we all we all like that stuff and that's great. But my advice to them is just, you know, yeah. Know when to put it on and know when to take it off. Right. And that's one of the, that's one of my biggest concerns actually. Those are the some of the comments that got me in trouble was, you know, my concern over the rap community and what it's what it's doing for, you know, not just the black community but but every community. Um, you know, the the demoralization and objectifying women, the use of the N-word, um, the 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 hatred for law enforcement. Like I have a real problem with that. And, you know, this goes far beyond any type of racial 
issue. It is, I think it is sensationalizing, um, you know, negativity. And, and I just, I just wish it wouldn't, you know, I wish it wouldn't exist the way it does. But then you have people like, you know, Terrence Williams that we talked about right before we went on, Roseanne, um, yeah. Sarah Jong, the, the New York Times person. And what, what they've said, you know, like, I believe Roseanne had, there was no racial, I don't know what you think about this, but I don't think there was any racial intent in Roseanne's tweet. I think she just didn't think it through, you know? Um, yeah, when I went on, I, you know, when I did uh, Jesse Waters' show, he asked me about the Roseanne situation, and I said the same thing, you know, then. I don't believe that it was a racist remark. I believe, honestly, when Roseanne says that she did not know that Valerie Jarrett was, was black, I completely believe her because it's not outside the realm of possibility yeah. for somebody to not know what Valerie Jarrett's ethnicity is. Right. And it was a nasty comment. It was definitely offensive. Was it racist? I don't think so. And yeah. my issue yeah. with how that entire situation was handled was it was like, okay, Roseanne's a racist. The left, you know, rallies to, to get her fired and removed and all that stuff. Wow. And when the left does that, and I think when I'm not a big fan of, of mobs in general. Right. Uh, and I'm not Mob a big rule. fan of mobs on the left or right. But when we do that, we take away all capacity for nuance. And we take away any capacity for somebody to actually do, put some good out into the world. Who knows what mm -hmm. somebody with resources like Roseanne could have really done to rectify the situation had she been given the chance. Right. And we'll never know. Well, that's the thing. She came out and apologized you know, right off the bat. And, and look, I did the same thing. Like all these, I, you know, these interviews from 2012 popped up. And like I said, some of the things I said were, were actually out of line. And for those I apologize for, but some of them were taken wildly out of context to fit a, an agenda. And right. the, the irony of the whole thing is I was literally the face of national community service, almost exclusively serving, uh, you know, urban communities, minorities, veterans, and helping them at their worst, lowest point. So, like, taking me out of the fight actually hurt the exact same people that the liberal left had claimed I had offended so badly. And I feel but like... But they don't care as long as they got their pound of flesh. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, like, hey, chalk it up. Like, they won that round. Like you know, move on, fight another day. And, you know, this is the next battle. But I, I see someone like exactly what you said. Like, personally, I didn't even, I didn't know Valerie Jarrett was black. I, I have no idea until, you know, the whole hoopla with Roseanne. But then you got someone like Sarah Jong, who, you know, has said like, F white people, um, you know, screw the cops. Like, I mean, like, this is stuff that's like incited violence against people. And New York Times hires her. And then uh, Terrence Williams goes on, he was on Waters World too, and he goes, well, you know, she must have eaten the wrong fortune cookie or something to that effect. Right. <laughs> I mean, and now, now he's crucified for I mean, he's being crucified for it, but yet this Jong lady still keeps her job. What's, you know, when, where's, I mean, where do you get the, where, how do you fix that? Uh, I, I don't know if you do. I mean, I, you know, I tweeted a lot about the Sarah Jong situation. First of all, I'm not a big fan, like I said, I'm not a big fan of mobs. So the idea wasn't that, oh, she should be fired or, or anything like that. The idea is that somebody with that stuff in their background never should have been hired, mm -hmm. <laughs> first of all. Yeah. So that, so that is the point. Now, if somebody, and, and when you look at what happened to Candace Owens on Twitter, Candace Owens was, was banned from Twitter for 12 hours. She literally replaced white with black in the Sarah Jean tweets, just so that people could get some context as to how bad the tweets really were. Right. Right. And now, you know, there's this, there's just the stuff. It, it just, it, it speaks to some sort of obsession with white people and a hatred. It, it's very bizarre. 
But the idea with that situation is that there are these double standards. Yeah. Terrence is a comedian, okay? And yeah. I am a big, let me tell you something. I'm a big fan of non-PC humor. My rule with non-PC humor is that it has to be funny. Do you know who Lisa Lampanelli is? Yeah. I think Lisa Lampanelli is completely hysterical. And you know why? Because it makes if it's funny, it's funny. Right. Okay, that, that's my whole thing. Now, kill all white people, and I think white people need to grovel under bridges like goblins, which is something that, that Sarah Zhang tweeted. That's not funny. That's not humorous. That doesn't, that doesn't serve any sort of public discourse. But yet she is celebrated for this. Mm-hmm. And even though she hasn't been on Twitter, you know, her following is huge now, and, and she will still probably give speeches about anti-racism and, and all of this other stuff. So what you see on the left is people being rewarded for this type of behavior, the same type of behavior that they crucify people on the right for. Mm-hmm. It's a double standard, oh, and yeah. it is completely hypocritical. Well, you know, I actually, I actually hit up, Sarah Silverman is under some fire um, for making some jokes and things like that, and I just look at this stuff, and I'm like, first off, I, I don't, I've never really been offended. I just, like, if, if I don't like something, I just change the channel, or I ignore it, or, you know, go to the next thing. And... I, I just don't understand this, like this being so offended. So I, I, she said, you know, so she made a joke about, you know, is it is it pedophilia or or is it, uh, you know, if if the child makes the first move, and it was a joke. It was it was you know it was yeah. kind of a gross joke, but it was a joke. Like, look, you know, I'm as a and I tweeted to her. I said, you know, Sarah, we don't agree on much, uh, but I'm a victim of sexual assault myself. I've been in the media crosshairs, but. People need to relax. You're a comedian. I just don't care if your jokes bother some people. Freedom of speech allows you to be crass sometimes, and I fully believe that. Yeah. I think the Sarah Silverman thing, you know, that came at the tail end of the James Gunn tweets, mm-hmm. and when James Gunn was tweeting all of these, like, crazy, crazy, you know, quote-unquote pedophile jokes, and yeah. and then I, I think that he was connected to somebody who actually was... was um, arrested for child porn possession and 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 stuff like that so i think that that was people the sarah silverman stuff was people on the on the right trying to identify i think that double standard that we have for liberal comedians you know um the double standard and then also you know somebody like sarah silverman sometimes these comedians make themselves easy targets because they're so morally superior to everybody yeah yeah, yeah. oh they're so deeply offended every time donald trump uh, has a rally oh my god but then you know, they're tweeting some of this. So I, I think that what we're trying to move towards mm-hmm. is there has to be one standard for everybody. There can't be one standard for liberals and one standard for conservatives. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll agree with that. I think it's uh, the, the single standard is a necessity, but but it'll never happen because the way I see it is the liberal left is is, you know, basically a petulant child screaming and stomping their feet until they get what they want. I want to ask you one more thing. Where are you at on my man Trump? Where am I at on, you know what, this is, this is how I'm going to answer the question about our president. Yeah. I do not suffer from Trump derangement syndrome, <laughs> which means that there are some things that our president does that I like and yeah. some things that our president does that I do not like. And when there are things that I do not like, such as the ban on transgender soldiers from serving, I will speak up about that and I will try to throw the olive branch and I will say, as a conservative, what can we do about this? In terms of some of the things that I do like, 
we need strong borders. Okay, we need to start enforcing our immigration laws. Mm-hmm. Period. Okay, and this is about you know this is about the safety of the country. This is about anti-terrorism. This is about all of these different things, right? So so that is is where I stand. Absolutely, I have a lot. I mean, I have a lot of fans on um, on Twitter and a lot of followers that are totally a hundred percent make America great again, and that's great. And you'll get some of that from me. And mm-hmm. every once in a while when there's something that I, I don't like, you'll get that from me as well. So, you know? so wait, you're not ideologically divided singularly by party lines and you will think for yourself? That's that's so weird. What Crazy <laughs> in 2018, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's, it's shocker. You know, like, here's the thing is, I will defend, you know, I was the president's, like, literally his one of his first surrogates. I will defend him. You know, I will jump in front of bullets for him, even when he does things that I don't think, you know, that I may not understand or may not like. I always give him the benefit of the doubt and defend him on it anyway because I love the guy and I think he's fantastic. But you know what? Like, if more people could kind of see things through your prism and you know speak out against the stuff that they do like or that they don't like, great. I find the the Democratic Party so morally repulsive on this one that like they are campaigning against people having jobs. Yeah, Shocking. but and, and not only that, you have people, and one of the reasons why I came out as a black conservative, you have so many black people in the media, like so many people with these huge platforms and so many black media surrogates, and what they want to do is they want to put this public pressure on people, um, especially prominent black people, to completely disavow the president. Um, they want to put this pressure on athletes. They want to put this pressure on all these different people. And so for black people to completely ignore or not want to work with the mm-hmm. person who's the president of the United States, how does that put us in any kind of position of power at all? Right. It doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? 100% true. 100% true. Well, Rob Smith, you know, we uh, agree on a lot, disagree on a little, but still get along at the end of the segment. And I, uh, you know, I really appreciate you coming on because most people don't even want to have this conversation. They just bury it and scream loudly when someone brings it up. Well, it's important that we had it, and I appreciate you for having me on. No problem. We'll uh, we'll get it out there. Thanks so much. Remember to go to www.libertyandcocktails.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Carl Higby, or at Liberty Cocktail. This is Liberty and Cocktails. Mm-hmm.